Chapter 12 of Liza of Lambeth by W. Somerset Moore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Hatton 43, logdelacanzen.wordpress.com. About the middle of the night, Liza woke. Her mouth was hot and dry, and a sharp cutting pain passed through her head as she moved. Her mother had evidently roused herself, for she was lying in bed by her side, partially undressed, with all the bedclothes rolled round her. Liza shivered in the cold night, and taking off some of her things, her boots, her skirt and jacket, got right into bed. She tried to get some of the blanket from her mother, but as she pulled, Mrs. Kemp gave a growl in her sleep and drew the clothes more tightly round her. So Liza put over herself her skirt and a shawl, which was lying over the end of the bed, and tried to go to sleep. But she could not. Her head and hands were broiling hot, and she was terribly thirsty. When she lifted herself up to get a drink of water, such a pang went through her head that she fell back on the bed groaning, and lay there with a beating heart. And strange pains that she did not know went through her. Then a cold shiver seemed to rise in the very marrow of her bones and run down every artery and vein, freezing the blood. Her skin puckered up, and drawing up her legs she lay huddled together in a heap, the shawl wrapped tightly round her, and her teeth chattering. Shivering, she whispered, Oh, I'm so cold, so cold. Mother, give me some clothes. I shall die of the cold. Oh, I'm freezing. But after a while, the cold seemed to give way, and a sudden heat seized her, flushing her face, making her break out into perspiration, so that she threw everything off and loosened the things about her neck. Give us a drink, she said, or I'd give anything for a little drop of water. There was no one to hear. Mrs. Kemp continued to sleep heavily, occasionally breaking out into a little snore. Liza remained there, now shivering with cold, now panting for breath, listening to the regular, heavy breathing by her side, and in her pain she sobbed. She pulled at her pillow and said, Why can't I go to sleep? Why can't I sleep like her? And the darkness was awful. It was a heavy, ghastly blackness that seemed palpable, so that it frightened her, and she looked for relief at the faint light glimmering through the window, from a distant street lamp. She thought the night would never end. The minutes seemed like hours, and she wondered how she should live through till morning, and strange pains that she did not know went through her. Still, the night went on. The darkness continued, cold and horrible, and her mother breathed loudly and steadily by her side. At last, with the morning, sleep came, but the sleep was almost worse than the wakefulness, for it was accompanied by ugly, disturbing dreams. Liza thought she was going through the fight with her enemy, and Mrs. Blakeston grew enormous in size and multiplied, so that every way she turned the figure confronted her, and she began running away, and she ran and ran till she found herself reckoning up an account. She had puzzled over in the morning, and she did it backwards and forwards, upwards and downwards, starting here, starting there, and the figures got mixed up with other things, and she had to begin over again, and everything jumbled up, and her head whirled till finally, with a start, she woke. The darkness had given way to a cold grey dawn, her uncovered legs were chilled to the bone, and by her side she heard again the regular, nasal breathing of the drunkard. For a long while she lay where she was, feeling very sick and ill, but better than in the night. At last her mother woke. Liza, she called. Yes, mother, she answered feebly. Get us a cup of tea, will you? 
I can't, mother, I'm ill. Gone, said Mrs. Kemp in surprise. Then looking at her, Swap me, Bob, what's up with you? Why, your cheeks is flushed, and your forehead it is hot. What's the matter with you, girl? I don't know, said Liza. I've been that bad all night. I thought I was going to die. I know what it is, said Mrs. Kemp, shaking her head. The fact is, you ain't used to drinking, and of course it's upset you. Now me, why I'm as fresh as a daisy. Take my word, there ain't no good in teetotalism. It finds you out in the end, and it's found you out. Mrs. Kemp considered it a judgment of providence. She got up and mixed some whiskey and water. Here, drink this, she said. When one's had a drop too much at night, there's nothing like having a drop more in the morning to put one right. It just acts like magic. Take it away, said Liza, turning from it in disgust. The smell of it gives me the sick. I'll never touch spirits again. Ah, that's what we all says sometime in our lives. But we does. And what's more, we can't do without it. Why me, the hard life I've had, it is unnecessary to repeat Mrs. Kemp's repetitions. Liza did not get up all day. Tom came to inquire after her, and was told she was very ill. Liza plaintively asked whether anyone else had been, and sighed a little when her mother answered no. But she felt too ill to think much or trouble much about anything. The fever came again as the day wore on, and the pains in her head grew worse. Her mother came to bed and quickly went off to sleep, leaving Liza to bear her agony alone. She began to have frightful pains all over her, and she held her breath to prevent herself from crying out and waking her mother. She clutched the sheets in her agony, and at last, about six o'clock in the morning, she could bear it no longer, and in the anguish of labour screamed out and woke her mother. Mrs. Kemp was frightened out of her wits. Going upstairs, she woke the woman who lived on the floor above her, Without hesitating, the good lady put on a skirt and came down. She's had a miss, she said, after looking at Liza. Is there anyone you could send to the hospital? No, I don't know who I could get at this hour. Well, I'll get me old man to go. So she called her husband and sent him off. She was a stout, middle-aged woman, rough-visaged and strong-armed. Her name was Mrs. Hodges. It's lucky you came to me, she said, when she had settled down. I go out nursing, you know so I know all about it. Well, you surprise me, said Mrs. Kemp. I didn't know as Liza was that way. She never told me nothing about it. Do you know who it is has done it? Now you ask me something I don't know, replied Mrs. Kemp. But now I come to think of it, it must be that there Tom. He's been keeping company with Liza. He's a single man, so they'll be able to get married. That's something. It ain't Tom, feebly said Liza. Not him. Who is it then? Liza did not answer. Eh? repeated the mother. Who is it? Liza lay still without speaking. Never mind, Mrs. Kemp, said Mrs. Hodges. Don't worry her now. You'll be able to find out all about it when she gets better. For a while the two women sat still, waiting the doctor's coming, and Liza lay gazing vacantly at the wall, panting for breath. Sometimes Jim crossed her mind, and she opened her mouth to call for him, but in her despair she restrained herself. The doctor came. Do you think she's bad, doctor? asked Mrs. Hodges. I'm afraid she is, rather, he answered. I'll come in again this evening. Oh, doctor, said Mrs. Kemp as he was going, could you give me something for my rheumatics? I'm a martyr to rheumatism, and these cold days hardly knows what to do with myself. And doctor, could you let me have some beef tea? My husband's dead, and of course I can't do no work with my daughter ill like this, 
and were very short. The day passed, and in the evening Mrs. Hodges, who had been attending to her own domestic duties, came downstairs again. Mrs. Kemp was on the bed sleeping. I was just having a little nap to Mrs. Hodges on waking. How is the girl? asked the lady. Oh, answered Mrs. Kemp, my rheumatics has been that bad I really haven't known what to do with myself, and now Liza can't rub me, I'm worse than ever. It's unfortunate that she should get ill just now, when I want so much attending to myself, but there, it's just my luck. Mrs. Hodges went over and looked at Liza. She was lying just as when she left in the morning, her cheeks flushed, her mouth open for breath, and tiny beads of sweat stood on her forehead. How are you, ducky? asked Mrs. Hodges, but Liza did not answer. It's my belief she's unconscious, said Mrs. Kemp. I've been asking her out who it was has done it, but she don't seem to hear what I say. It's been a great shock to me, Mrs. Hodges. I believe you, replied the lady sympathetically. When you come in and said what it was, you might have knocked me down with a feather. I knew no more than the dead what had happened. I saw at once what it was, said Mrs. Hodges, nodding her head. Yes, of course you knew. I expect you've had a great deal of practice one way and another. You're right, Mrs. Kemp, you're right. I've been on the job now for nearly twenty years, and if I don't know something about it, I ought. Do you find it pays well? Well, Mrs. Kemp, take it all in all. I ain't got no grounds for complaint. I'm in the habit of asking five shillings, and I will say this. I don't think it's too much for what I do. The news of Liza's illness had quickly spread, and more than once in the course of the day, a neighbour had come to ask after her. There was a knock at the door now, and Mrs. Hodges opened it. Tom stood on the threshold, asking to come in. Yes, you can come, said Mrs. Kemp. He advanced on tiptoe, so as to make no noise, and for a while stood silently looking at Liza. Mrs. Hodges was by his side. Can I speak to her? he whispered. She can't hear you. He groaned. Do you think she'll get all right? he asked. Mrs. Hodges shrugged her shoulders. I shouldn't like to give an opinion, she said cautiously. Tom bent over Liza and, blushing, kissed her, then, without speaking further, went out of the room. That's the young man as was courting her, said Mrs. Kemp, pointing over her shoulder with her thumb. Soon after, the doctor came. What do you think of her, doctor? said Mrs. Hodges, bustling forwards authoritatively, in her position of midwife and sick nurse. I'm afraid she's very bad. Do you think she's going to die? she asked, dropping her voice to a whisper. I'm afraid so. As the doctor sat down by Liza's side, Mrs. Hodges turned round and significantly nodded to Mrs. Kemp, who put her handkerchief to her eyes. Then she went outside to the little group waiting at the door. What does the doctor say? they asked, among them Tom. He says just what I've been saying all along. I knew she wouldn't live. And Tom burst out. Oh, Liza. As she retired, a woman remarked, Mrs. Hodges is very clever, I think. Yes, remarked another. She got me through my last confinement simply wonderful. If it comes to choosing between them, I'd back Mrs. Hodges against forty doctors. To tell you the truth, so would I. I've never known her wrong yet. Mrs. Hodges sat down beside Mrs. Kemp and proceeded to comfort her. Why don't you take a little drop of brandy to calm your nerves, Mrs. Kemp, she said. You want it. I was just feeling rather faint, and I couldn't help thinking as our two penneth of whiskey would do me good. Now, nah, Mrs. Kemp, said Mrs. Hodges earnestly, putting her hand on the other's arm. You take my tip. When you're queer, there's nothing like brandy for pulling you together. Don't object to whiskey myself. 
but as a medicine you can't beat brandy. Well, I won't set up myself knowing better than you, Mrs. Hodges. I'll do what you think right. Quite accidentally, there was some in the room, and Mrs. Kemp put it out for herself and her friend. I'm not in the habit of taking anything when I'm out on business, she apologised, but just to keep you company, I don't mind if I do. Your health, Mrs. Hodges. Same to you, and thank you, Mrs. Kemp. Eliza lay still, breathing very quietly, her eyes closed. The doctor kept his fingers on her pulse. I've been very unfortunate of light, remarked Mrs. Hodges as she licked her lips. This makes the second death I've had in the last ten days. Woman, I mean, of course. I don't count babies. You don't say so. Of course, the other one. Well, she was only a prostitute, so it didn't so much matter. It ain't like another woman, is it? No, you're right. Still, one don't like them to die, even if they are that. One mustn't be too hard on them. Strikes me you've got a very kind aunt, Mrs. Hodges, said Mrs. Kemp. I have that, and I often says it'd be better for my peace of mind and my business if I hadn't. I have to go through a lot. I do. But I can say this for myself. I always give satisfaction, and that's something as all ladies in my line can't say. They sip their brandy for a while. It's a great trial to me that this should have happened, said Mrs. Kemp, coming to the subject that had been disturbing her for some time. Mine's always been a very respectable family, and such a thing as this has never happened before. No, Mrs. Hodges, I was lawfully married in the church, and I've got my license, and I've got my marriage lines to show I was, and that one of my daughters should have gone wrong in this way, well, I can't understand it. I give her a good education, and she had all the comforts of her home. She never wanted for nothing. I worked myself to the bone to keep her in luxury and then that she could go and disgrace me like this. I understand what you mean, Mrs. Kent. I can tell you, my family was very respectable, and my husband, he earned 25 shillings a week, and was in the same place 17 years, and his employers sent a very beautiful wreath to put on his coffin, and they tell me they never had such a good workman, and such an honest man before. And me? Well, I can say this. I've done my duty by the girl. She's never learnt anything but good from me. Of course, I ain't always been in what you call flourishing circumstances, but I've always set her a good example, as she could tell you so herself, if she wasn't speechless. Mrs. Kemp paused for a moment's reflection. As they say in the Bible, she finished, it's enough to make one's grey hairs go down into the ground in sorrow. I can show you my marriage certificate. Of course, one doesn't like to say much, but of course, she's very bad. But if she got well, I should have given her a talking to. There was another knock. Do go and see who that is. I can't, on account of my rheumatics. Mrs. Hodges opened the door. It was Jim. He was very white, and the blackness of his hair and beard, contrasting with the deathly pallor of his face, made him look ghastly. Mrs. Hodges stepped back. Who's he? she said, turning to Mrs. Kemp. Jim pushed her aside and went up to the bed. Doctor, is she very bad? he asked. Doctor looked at him questioningly. Jim whispered, It was me as done it. She ain't going to die, is she? The doctor nodded. Oh God, what shall I do? It was my fault. I wish I was dead. Jim took the girl's head in his hands, and the tears burst from his eyes. She ain't dead yet, is she? She's just living, said the doctor. Jim bent down. Liza, Liza, speak to me. Liza, say you forgive me. Oh, speak to me. His voice was full of agony. The doctor spoke. 
She can't hear you. Oh, she must hear me. Liza, Liza. He sank on his knees by the bedside. They all remained silent, Liza lying stiller than ever, her breast unmoved by the feeble respiration. Jim looking at her very mournfully, the doctor grave with his fingers on the pulse. The two women looked at Jim. Fancy it being him, said Mrs. Kemp. Strike me lucky, ain't he a sight? You have got her insured, Mrs. Kemp, said the midwife. She could bear the silence no longer. Trust me for that, replied the good lady. I've had her insured ever since she was born. Why, the only other day I was saying to myself that all that money had been wasted. But you see it wasn't. You never know your luck, you see. Quite right. I'm a rare one for insuring. It's a great thing. I've always insured all my children. The way I look on it is this, said Mrs. Kemp. Whatever you do when they're alive, and we all know as children is very trying sometimes, you should give them a good funeral when they die. That's my motto, and I've always acted up to it. Do you deal with Mr. Stearman? asked Mrs. Hodges. No, Mrs. Hodges, for undertaking give me Mr. Footley every time. In the black line he's first, and the rest nowhere. Well, that's very strange now. That's just what I think. Mr. Footley does his work well and he's very reasonable. I'm a very old customer of his, and he lets me have things cheap as anybody. Does he indeed? Well, Mrs. Hodges, if I ain't asking too much of you, I should look upon it as very kind if you'd go and make the arrangements for Liza. Why, certainly, Mrs. Kemp. I'm always willing to do a good turn to anybody if I can. I want it done very respectable, said Mrs. Kemp. I'm not going to stint for nothing for my daughter's funeral. I like plumes, you know although they is a bit extra. Never you fear, Mrs. Kemp. It should be done as well as if it was for my own husband, and I can't say more than that. Mr. Footley thinks a deal of me, he does. Why, only the other day, as I was going into his shop, he says, Good morning, Mrs. Hodges. Good morning, Mr. Footley, says I. You've just come in the nick of time, says he. This gentleman and myself, pointing to another gentleman, as was standing there, and myself, say I, I gives you all the work I can. I believe you, says he. Well, he says, now which do you think? Does Oak look better than Helm? Or does Helm look better than Oak? Oak versus Helm, that's the question. Well, Mrs. Footley, says I, for my own private opinion, when you've got a nice brass plate in the middle, and nice brass handles each end, there's nothing like, like Oak. Quite right, says he, that's what I think, for the coffins give me the Oak any day, and I hope, says he, and the Lord sees fit to call me to himself, I should be put in a hoke coffin myself. Amen, says I. I like hoke, said Mrs. Kemp. My poor husband, he had a hoke coffin. We did have a job with him, I can tell you. You know he had dropsy, and he swell up. Oh, he did swell. His own mother wouldn't have known him. Why, his legs swell up, till it was as big as, till it was as big round as his body. Swap me bob it did. Did it indeed, ejaculated Mrs. Hodges. Yes, and when he died they sent the coffin up. I didn't have Mr. Footley at that time. We didn't live here then. We lived in Battersea, and all our undertaking was done by Mr. Browning. Well, he sent the coffin up. We got my old man in, but we couldn't get the lid down. He was so swell. Well, Mr. Browning, he was a great big man, thirteen stone if he was an ounce. Well, he stood on the coffin, and a young man he had with him stood on it too, and the lid simply wouldn't go down. So Mr. Browning, he said, jump on, missus. So I was in my widow's weeds, you know, but we had to get it down. So I stood on it, and we all jumped, and at last we got it too, 
and screwed it. But law we did have a job. I shall never forget it. Then all was silence, and a heaviness seemed to fill the air like a grey blight, cold and suffocating, and the heaviness was death. They felt the presence in the room, and they dared not move. They dared not draw their breath. The silence was terrifying. Suddenly a sound was heard, a loud rattle. It was from the bed, and rang through the morning, piercing the stillness. The doctor opened one of Liza's eyes and touched it. Then he lay on her breast, the hand he had been holding, and withdrew the sheet over her head. Jim turned away with a look of intense weariness on his face, and the two women began weeping silently. The darkness was sinking before the dawn, and a dim grey light came through the window. The lamp spluttered out. End of chapter 12 Recording by Hatton43 Blog de la quinzaine.wordpress.com End of Liza of Lambeth by W. Somerset Maugham